Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon from Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. The hard thing is, you won't always be happy, will you? And you'll struggle to be joyful. That's just the truth of it. It's nothing new. It's nothing just because of the internet. It's been around as, as long as Ecclesiastes. Well, it's been a long, around since you know, Cain and Abel, for that matter. But Ecclesiastes chapter 3.16, I also saw this here on earth. Where there should have been justice, there was evil. And where there should have been right, there was wrong. That's something that you're never going to get away from. And we're never going to get away from either as long as we're here in this world. You see, regardless of what you believe about politics or what you believe about God, it doesn't matter who you voted for or who, where you worked or where you retired from, we all get the same feeling at times. Something is wrong in this world. Yesterday, Claudia and I went to see a girl that she went to school with from fifth grade on up. I went to school with her from seventh grade on up when everybody came together in what was called junior high back then. Sheila was a <clears throat> spitfire would be too mild. Uh, full of spit and vinegar, which sounds awful. I'm not sure where that phrase came from, but that was Sheila. She'd stand up to anybody, and so when she stood up to the 35-year-old son of her you know, guy that she's in a relationship now, and said, no, you can't have his painkillers because he'd just had back surgery two weeks before. And because he's addicted to drugs, he thought that dad's oxycodone and, and other stuff would probably be something he ought to have. And Sheila said, I don't think so. They went back and forth with each other for a bit. Now, Sheila stands about this tall, maybe if she's got high heels on. And apparently he didn't appreciate the fact she stood up in his face and said, no, you can't have what you want. So he just bear-hugged her, took her to the door, and threw her out into the yard. Knowing Sheila like we do, she decided that's not where she was going to stay. So she started right back in and right in his face, and he, he knocked her out. Apparently knocked a bunch of teeth out as well, it looks like. And once she was down, he decided she was going to stay down. And so he straddles her and went all Ralphie on her from the Christmas story, and just pummeled her until she was unconscious. And then he kept on pummeling her. We live in a world where the first reaction of neighbors who heard the commotion, because Sheila was never quiet, was, of course, to whip out their phone and start videoing it instead of doing something about it. And finally, one of the women neighbors 
decided that's enough of that business, and she went over and got him off of her. Some of our classmates have agreed it's a good thing it was her instead of any of us. Or I'd be starting my prison ministry today. <laughs> May have gotten him off of her with a ball bat to the head. And then afterwards, he just got up, went over to the garage, and laid down on the garage floor. Sheila was in a coma for at least three weeks, maybe four. We had seen a picture of her before we went. But I don't think either one of us were ready for what we saw when we walked in the room. Her eyes are open, but that's about it. The one eye that's widest open just doesn't track anywhere or anybody. The left eye that's just barely open, I wasn't really sure whether she was tracking with that one or not. Looked like he went Mike Tyson on her ear, bit half of her ear off, or if not, at least broke it off. There's a four to five inch incision above that ear. She's got a trach tube in. Kind of in a fetal position-ish with random arm movements. Alyssa, if you can figure out what makes people do stuff like that, that would be great. I don't know how long it's going to be. And honestly, in the last couple of days, I haven't slept real well. Because I'm not really sure that the body is built to recover from that kind of abuse. Something's wrong. And the questions that we wrestle with gets phrased like this, if there is a God who is real, then why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? Now, some ask that question because it's just an intellectual curiosity to them. It's just kind of a, you know, sit around drinking beer and having philosophical discussions about God for some people. But others of us ask that because we've stood in the hospital room with people that meant a lot to us. And because of that personal painful experience, when your faith takes a hit, you ask questions like, God, are you even there? Were you paying attention? Were you looking at China to that day instead of... Broken hearts give birth to hard questions. And those hard questions have no easy answers. That's why this series, how do you balance faith with evil? 
the pain behind this kind of doubt is too, is too agonizing to just insult you with cliches and emojis and memes on a screen about God. But if you're ready to give up on God because of stuff like that, that you've experienced, let me push back just a little bit. Because the problem of evil is not going away. Whether you believe in God or not, evil still exists. So don't give up on God thinking that if, if you give up on God, then evil's going to go away. It's not. You see, the, here, here's the opposite side of that coin, though. The problem of evil, what's right and wrong, ceases to exist if you don't think there's a God. Now, evil doesn't stop, but the, the struggle with trying to make sense of it stops if you don't believe there's a God. Because if there's no God, then there's no universal standard of good and bad behavior. If there's no God, then what difference does it make whether a 35-year-old who still lives with his daddy because he's hooked on drugs nearly kills a 5-foot-4, 110-pound, 67-year-old woman? What difference does it make if there's no God to step in, right? You see, without a standard of right and wrong, who's to complain if something is evil? There's a guy named Philip Yancey. He wrote a book called The Problem of Pain. And he says, though the, the question is a profound mystery, it applies only in the context of religious faith. I have yet to hear critics of faith offer a response that's consistent with their own belief. So why are you shocked and upset? What else would we expect from an impersonal universe of random indifference? In other words, if it was just a Big Bang thing, and there's no God, there's no intelligent design, there's no one over all of it, then everything's just coincidental, right? Natural selection is about survival. It's not about what's fair and just. If we're just random clumps of carbon and water crawling around until we dissolve back into the elements, then self-interest, like survival, and the exploitation of others, like the people who stand in our face saying, no, you can't. Well, you know, it, it, it makes sense because it's, just making survival possible. But it does bother us. Because deep within us, we have a moral compass of how life ought to be. And what's right and wrong, and what's fair and what's not fair. And evil does not fit into that. Where does that sense of the way things ought to be come from? I mean, you don't see groundhogs out there getting bent out of shape if somebody nibbles on their dandelion. I'm really not sure the last time I saw squirrels get in a fight with each other because somebody stole their acorn. Here's the irony of it all. 
the problem of evil and the pain and suffering that it produces that causes some believers in God to reject their faith is the same pain and suffering that causes some people who don't believe in God to begin to reach out and embrace faith. That's the way it worked for a former atheist who became a rather famous Christian author named C.S. Lewis. He wrote this, in the very act of trying to prove that God did not exist, in other words, that the whole of reality was senseless, I was forced to assume that one part of reality, namely my idea of justice, was full of sense. Consequently, atheism turned out to be just too simple. So the pain and suffering that causes some to run away from God is the same pain and suffering that caused somebody like C.S. Lewis, who at that time was not a believer in God, to start to try to make sense of things. And God was the only way that that happened. But as soon as you say the world shouldn't be this way, you imply that there ought to be a higher standard of goodness and virtue in our world. The problem of evil is not an argument against the existence of God. But actually the problem of evil is an argument for the existence of God. The reason why we think it's a problem is because we're inclined to believe that somebody exists who ought to and is able to fix it. And we call him God. Now there are a lot of voices in the Bible who cried out to God in frustration with how things were going on in their world. Guys like Jeremiah and Habakkuk and a lot of the Psalms. The book of Job wrestles with this very issue. God, why aren't you doing something? Which is another way of saying, God, why aren't you doing what I think you ought to do to make this right? But the problem of evil exists because there's a thing called freedom. Freedom of choice that exists. And that freedom to either accept or reject is essential to any meaningful relationship. Not just our relationship with God, but our relationship, your relationship with the girl that you're dating. If there's no freedom to accept or reject, then it just becomes hostage and slavery. That's why God gives us the freedom to either love Him or ignore Him. But that freedom from God also comes with a warning that our choices have consequences. We may have the freedom to choose, but we don't have the freedom to choose our consequences. Of course, that raises another question. In, well, then why did God give us a choice if He knew we were just going to mess up? See, we still look for ways to blame God instead of accepting responsibility for the choices we make. The Bible describes God this way in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Here are some phrases from that section of verses. Love comes from God. The reason for that is because God can only be described in one way, or at least described in one way, that God is love. And anyone who doesn't love has never known Him. And then God showed us His love 
when he sent his only son into the world to give us life. Yeah, it sounds like a very familiar passage, doesn't it? But then this one. Real love isn't our love for God, but it's his love for us. You see, there it is. Love has to express itself towards someone. It can't just exist in a vacuum. Otherwise, it would be self-love, which is not love at all. And since God's essential nature and identity is described as love, then there has to be an outlet for Him to express it. Now, the question that started that, why did God make us if He knew we were just going to mess up? I think the answer is God made us in spite of knowing that we would mess up because God is love and He has to love someone. That's why He created someone to love. Even though that meant taking the risk that we'd turn our back on Him. And every parent knows that love comes with that risk of rejection and rebellion. To create a world without evil, God would have had to create kids without freedom. So does it make sense to be mad at God because He didn't make us to be puppets? Well, no, we don't want to be puppets. We want the freedom to choose. But that's our world. Everything evil in our world is because of the bad choices that people make. Like this last week in Dallas. He's got four-year-old twin boys. The nanny cam's on. Did you see the video of this? I couldn't hardly watch it. And an 18-year-old walks into the room, good-looking kid, Walks into the room, stands there, looks at him, and then reaches down, picks up one of the four-year-old boys, takes him out, and about an hour later, at five o'clock in the morning, a lady's running by jogging, because guys don't run at five in the morning. Maybe Steve does, but you know, most, most guys aren't getting up to five. I mean, we'll get up for another reason at five, but it's not to run. She's out jogging on the street, thinks somebody hit a dog, and gets up to it, and it's this four-year-old boy who's been knifed to death, laying in the street. She says, and the thing I'll never forget is just seeing the ants crawl on his feet. But the, I don't know, the thing that, that just messes most with me it's not just that, but then about an hour after that, the nanny cam shows that same kid come back into the bedroom for the twin. Stands there and, and looks at him and, and kind of messes with a blanket and, and then just acts nervous or maybe like he hears something or, and then just walks out, of the, walks out of the room. Evil exists because of the bad choices that broken people make. The National Human Trafficking Hotline reports that the cases of human trafficking have doubled in five years. We're just going to have to try harder in Ohio because currently we're tied at fourth. We can do better. 175 homicides in Columbus during 2020. 
And we pray for our law enforcement, <laughs> including the ones that are members here. Because 283 law enforcement officers were shot in 2020. 365 days, 283 law enforcement officers. What the heck's going on in our world? People choose evil over God. Isaiah would summarize it this way in chapter 24, verse 6. The earth is under a curse. Its people are dying out because of their sins. I'd be more comfortable if this was not going to be online next week. But I still believe it's true. If black lives matter so much, why are blacks killing each other? Now, I should have even said it differently. Yes, black lives do matter. Yes, all lives matter. Better yet, every single soul made in the image of God matters. Right? But if people believe that and march in protest about that and wear shirts about that, then why are they shooting each other? Why are they killing each other? This is not the world that God created, so don't blame God. It is the world, though, that we created in our rebellion and rejection of God's will. God may allow our pain, but God also feels our pain. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, it says that the Lord saw the human beings on the earth were very wicked, and that everything they thought about was evil. And he was sorry that he had made human beings on the earth. Why? Because God is love. And He creates us in love. And He loves us so much He gave His Son Christ, right? So He sees this and He sees the absence of love because of their absence of devotion and relationship to Him. And it says His heart was filled with pain. What humanity did to the world that God created broke God's heart. The story goes on in Genesis 6 to say that God decided to just wash it clean and start all over fresh with the one good family he knew was left on the earth. But even after he did that, no sooner did that happen than they broke faith with God again and God had to step back in to reset the world. And it kept happening over and over and over. See, the truth of the matter is this. In answer to our greatest questions and our doubts about evil, left to ourselves, People who are free to choose will typically choose to turn their back on God. Even me. How about you? You see, it's also phrased, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Proverbs 12 says it this way, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice we've all got great ideas but not every great idea is a good idea right the problem of evil isn't just around us the prop but just if if you're out there somewhere just 
Hittus, okay? Give me your ear and your heart. The problem of evil isn't just around us. The problem of evil is within us. We want God to fix the world, but we're not about to ask God to fix us. Because if God got rid of all the evil in the world, none of us would make it to our car in a parking lot. I don't want to minimize the pain that you've been left to deal with because of something that happened to you. There are plenty of voices, like I said, from the pages of Scripture that cry out to God in pain and frustration, God, where are you? God, why don't you make this right? God, why don't you fix this? God, why did you let this happen? It's okay to cry out to God in that pain. His shoulders are big enough to handle our complaint when we don't like the way the world is. But just remember this. Evil is not a problem that God created. But it is a problem that He intends to fix. Maybe the following will help you. Just run through these, okay? When what about evil overwhelms your faith, Here's some things to remember. Number one, God only created the possibility, of e- the possibility of evil. I mean, after all, when He finished His creation, everything was good. And He gave everyone the freedom to choose a lifestyle that will bring blessing into their life or not. And it's not His fault that a lot of us chose not. When we do, he honors our obedience with blessings in life that can be described as love and joy and peace, patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness. But he also honors our right to reject him along with the consequences that come with that, with things like immorality, anger, jealousy, hatred. When we turn our back on the love of heaven, why are we surprised when all hell breaks loose? There's no reason for God to accept our blame for the evil in the world. He never made us the promise bad things won't ever happen to good people. In fact, the very opposite of that was what he did promise them. In John 16, verse 33, in this world you will have trouble. Christianity would never have survived if their faith was so fragile that they thought bad things should never happen to good people. But instead, their faith transcended the suffering that they knew because the rest of what Jesus said in John 16, was this, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Second thing. Remember this, when your doubts about what about evil overcome your faith or overwhelm your faith, God can still use what He did not cause. Just because you can't see God at work doesn't mean He isn't at work. Just because you can't see what possible good could ever come from something as horrible and awful as you've lived through doesn't mean that there isn't something good that God can do. Tim Keller addressed that senselessness of evil this way. He says, if you have a God who's great and transcendent enough to be mad at because he hasn't stopped evil and suffering in the world, then you also have a God who is great and transcendent enough 
to have good reasons for allowing it to continue that you can't know. (laughs) And then he summarizes it with words we hate to hear. You can't have it both ways. Consider briefly the example of Joseph. just, Just let me run through. Joseph in the Bible, the Old Testament, he was a victim of human trafficking himself when his own brothers sold him into slavery because of their own jealousy and anger. He was falsely accused of rape. And he went to prison for a long time for something he didn't do. And then he was betrayed by fellow inmates that he was just trying to help. He was continually victimized by evil, and decades later, God put him in a position where he would be able to save his family from starvation. Eventually, Joseph came to this rather famous conclusion that's written in Genesis 50, verse 20. You meant to hurt me. And there will be people that mean to hurt you. You meant to hurt me, but God turned your evil into good to save the lives of many people, which is being done. Romans 8.28 promises that no matter what happens, God will use it for the good of those who love Him. So here's a third thing to remember. When what about evil overwhelms your faith? The sufferings of Jesus has given God experience with evil. God may be above evil, but He is not aloof from it. And that's something that sets Christianity apart from other religions. Our God suffers. Our God knows suffering. He came into a world of evil, and because of that evil, He suffered and died on a cross. And in that moment, that same God asked the same question that each one of us do. My God, why have you forsaken me now? Quoting The first line of Psalm 22, Jesus reminds us that God is at work when we're at our weakest. And Jesus, in quoting Psalms 22, shows us how to trust God in the very worst moments of our life when nothing in life makes sense. And that's why later in Psalm 22, David celebrates that we can put our trust in God because He never forsakes His people. When, you re, when you're in those awful moments, what we need most is someone to be with us. We need to know that God is present, trusting Him to eventually make sense out of stuff that just doesn't make sense. Number four, when, you, when you're overwhelmed with what about evil, remember this. It's through pain that a lot of people find God. And it's through suffering that a lot of people reveal God in their life. Our culture is so driven by self-gratification that any kind of suffering has to be avoided at all costs, no matter what. Even if it means beating up your dad's girlfriend and knocking her unconscious, nearly killing her just so that you can have his painkillers. But Christians look at life through a lens of faith where the cross and an empty tomb helps to clarify things. 
And that kind of perspective on suffering teaches us that suffering can have a purpose that honors God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he says, God is a Father who's full of mercy and all comfort. He comforts us every time we have trouble. He comforts us every time we have trouble so that when others have trouble, we can comfort them with the same comfort that God gives us. People need us to learn from Jesus, how to love like Jesus, and how to look like Him. It's not just a logo on stationery. It's the point that God wants us to figure out in our life. Here's a fifth one. Next to the last one. What do you do when the doubt of what about evil overwhelms your faith? Well, remember this, that ultimately God is a judge, and there will come a day when He will eliminate all evil. Remember what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and a little bit later on, deliver us from evil. John the Apostle wrote down what was revealed to him as a way to encourage people who were in the middle of evil. They were being persecuted because of their faith in God. And to those persecuted believers, he had this message in Revelation 21, verse 27. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter the presence of God. Remember this truth. God hates evil more than you do. That's why those who believe in God don't hate. They move on past it. They learn to forgive. That's why those who believe in God don't pursue vigilante justice like I would have been inclined to do with a baseball bat upside the head of that 35-year-old kid on my classmate. We try to learn to let justice up to God. David, I want you and the praise team join the rest of uh, join me, not the rest of us. <laughs> All of those people in my head, we need company. <clears throat> Here's this. When what about evil overwhelms your faith, the last thing I want you to remember is this. God calls us to face evil and conquer evil with sacrificial love. That's the message of the cross, isn't it? We may never understand evil, but we can overcome evil. In Romans 12, verse 21, he says, do not let evil defeat you. He does not say, hold your breath until evil ceases to exist. He simply says, whether you're graduating from high school or preschool, or whether you're graduating from employment into retirement, do not let evil defeat you. But defeat evil by doing good. That's why Christians take care of orphans and widows. Because we intend to defeat evil by doing good. That's why we do our best to forgive and forbear the hurt that's caused us by other people who've been hurt in their life. Because we are determined to not, <laughs> we are determined to overcome evil by doing good. So that someday, 
evil will be gone for good. But when that day happens, it will be because of Jesus. And those who learn to love like Him. And who try to look like Him in how they live. Wrap up with this thought. Helen Keller (laughs) made this observation. Although the world is full of suffering, it is also full of the overcoming of it. Overcoming our doubts about evil. (laughs) That's why we need to be an active member of the body of Christ, His church. That's why we need to be engaged in relationships, not just watching from afar. Have you surrendered to the love of God in Christ? Are you expressing the love of God in Christ? Or are you stuck in anger about injustice and evil? And how somebody did you dirty. If you've been united with Christ in baptism, the challenge is for us to remember that baptism won't wash away evil, but it will cleanse your soul. Is that what you need today? Do you need prayer and guidance today? Some of our elders who watch over our hearts have agreed to meet in the prayer room. If that's something that you want to do, make your way to that prayer room and to them that they may pray over you and offer you some guidance from God. While together, we stand and sing. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldorf Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at barrysvillechristian.org.